Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to another great episode of Family Business Radio. I am your host, Anthony Chen. Today, we have three great esteemed guests. Uh, we have Michael Horowitz with Transworld Business Advisors of Atlanta North, Nancy Pridgen with Pridgen Bassett Law, LLC, and Dr. Jason Croissant and Kimberly Palmieri from Life Hope Healing Medicine Spa. So kind of kicking us off the show to start, we have Michael. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Great to be here, Anthony. Great. So kind of share with the, the audience uh, your journey as to how what got you into um, being an M&A advisor. Ah, so, you know, I've had a, a, a long career in corporate America, entrepreneurial America. Uh, my last stop was as a small business owner. I own my own bicycle shop in Alpharetta. And after seven years, I made a decision to close it. The shop was doing well, but the owner wasn't making any money. And I said, there's got to be uh, got to be something uh, different. And a family friend asked, so what's Michael doing these days? And um, he's uh, an M&A advisor, a uh, business broker. And he said, why don't you think about doing what I do? And I said, tell me more about it. And I spent a week with him kind of training and learning. And uh, for five years now, I've been uh, an M&A advisor. And I've, I've loved every minute of it. So kind of share with the audience, like what is an MA in a advisor or a business broker in general? Sure. Um, basically, um, I'm an intermediary. I look a lot like a um, real estate agent, if you will. So if we'll follow that, that metaphor, I help people buy and sell small and medium-sized businesses. So most of what I do is working on the sell side and working with business owners who are looking to uh, sell the business either to move on to their next venture or for retirement. And um, it involves marketing the business for sale confidentially and privately, uh, seeking prospective buyers, qualifying them, vetting them, um, and then making the deal happen. Uh, I'd say about 25% of my work is finding a qualified buyer. The remaining 75% is getting across the finish line, getting to the transaction table and getting the signatures done. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting, lengthy process. And, um, you know, but it's one that, uh, it's one that I certainly enjoy. Well, you've shared a little bit in terms of you going through your journey and selling your business. Uh, can you share with us, uh, the audience who have yet to take that journey, you know, what is it like going about selling a business? Um, it's interesting. The first thing I would say is it's a very emotional endeavor. Uh, many of my clients have had their businesses for years. It's their baby. Um, and many really, you know, know it's probably time, but can't see what's on the other side. And then, of course, their baby is beautiful and worth a lot of money. So I come bouncing in and tell them, you've got a very nice business. It's probably worth less than you think it is. And it's going to take a while to sell. And, you know, those are not things that business owners want to hear. You, you Even when I had my bike shop, I was like, at some point, somebody's just going to walk in the door and offer me a great price for my business. And I'm going to sell it and move on. Uh, life, unfortunately, doesn't really work that way. It does sometimes. But often, um, 
it's a process and a lengthy one. And sometimes things just don't happen for weeks on end. And, you know, uh, my client sits there going, what is going on? What's he doing? Uh, but it may be in the hands of attorneys. It may be in the hands of bankers, um, all sorts of different trusted advisors that get brought in to make a transaction happen. So um, while, you know, there can be great joy at the end of it, I helped one couple sell their business they had for 30 years, a specialty contractor, and uh, they were thrilled. They had their uh, home picked out in Florida. They're there squeezing sand between their toes. The new owners um, are doing, uh, from what I can tell, an excellent job with the, with the business. Um, and it, it's really nice to help people move on to the next point in their lives. So as our listeners are kind of learning about this journey, can you share with us uh, at what point uh, should the business owner begin thinking about selling the business? Uh, that's an excellent question, Anthony. Thanks. So, Many of my clients that I meet, it, you know, something happens, um, a health issue, uh, a, um, a family event, um, and it's time. Uh, and then there's, there's a lot of work to do because things have to be right in order to sell the business. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a not fun fact that about 70% of businesses listed for sale um, whether they're listed by an intermediary like me, listed by the owner, uh, small business, medium-sized business, 70% listed do not sell. And the re- among the reasons that they don't sell are the books aren't clean and a buyer just doesn't trust it. The owner is the business. So he or she hasn't taken the time over years to kind of disengage from the day-to-day and create the management team that it takes to succeed them. Um, There are other reasons for a business not selling, but most of them can be corrected given enough time. Um, You know, the, the classic business school theory is when you start a business, you should already be thinking about your exit. And I think there's some truth to that. If you can start thinking about your exit, five years out, minimally two years out, you're going to be in so much better place to move that business along because you will have taken care of many of the factors that don't make a business attractive for sale. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, my ideal client is someone who's worked with a business advisor, worked with an exit strategist uh, for the past couple of years and is ready to go to market. Uh, That's the exception rather than the rule. So from the sounds of it, what you've been sharing with us so far is that uh, a business owner coming to you, hey, I want to sell uh, tomorrow. That doesn't sound like that's going to be possible. And certainly not tomorrow. Uh, you know, the average time to sell a business um, is about eight months. And that's from listing to uh, the actual transaction taking place. So if that's an average, some businesses will sell sooner. Others can take a year, year and a half, two years to sell. So the process can be lengthy. It's not a, it's not like selling a house where you get to put a sign up outside, right? And it's priced in the market. And um, uh, eventually there's going to be a buyer for that home, good, bad, or indifferent. Businesses aren't like that. Um, you know, buyers become very specific, uh, very uh, adamant about what they will and won't do in order to uh, move the transaction forward. 
uh, you know, I tell my clients it's a process and patience is key. And just because you doesn't, you haven't heard from me, doesn't mean I'm not working for you, thinking about you, trying to move the business forward, get it marketed, call prospective buyers, call, um, you know, other people who are in the business space and confidentially, but privately not naming the business, telling them that there's a business like theirs on the market. Um, those are kind of the activities that I'm constantly doing. I'm also working with buyers who may not have representation, um, but I'm also helping them to seek financing, for example. If they're looking for a loan, perhaps an SBA loan, it makes sense to shop it. And I know people who are in the marketplace. Um, there are other trusted advisors for both buyer and seller that need to enter into the, the, uh, the mix. For example, um, you know, selling a business is probably one of the largest cash liquidity events in a person's life. Um, the question is, what are they going to do with that money? And is it enough to take them to uh, through their retirement goals? And so I'll often recommend other trusted advisors, CPAs who can advise on the tax consequences. There are capital gains. Uh, attorneys who must be there to help with the um, the transaction details on the contracts, personal uh, wealth advisors, who it's important that they take a look at what the net proceeds of the sale are going to be, which is after capital gains, after uh, uh, attorneys and, and other fees, uh, my success fee, is that going to be enough? And what? Uh, how does it complement your, your retirement plan? Um, so those are all of the things that I'm doing around the listing of a business. Uh, it sounds like it's not just uh, having a business broker, but you need a whole team of people to, in order to make it successful. Yes, yes, very much so. And um, you know, basically, uh, the uh, metaphor that I use is I, I kind of quarterback uh, that team. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and that's my role as an intermediary is not only between buyer and seller but also between their respective uh, trusted advisors. So making sure the lawyers are doing what it is they need to do, making sure the uh, CPAs are doing what they need to do uh, in, in order to get to, again, to get to that transaction table so there are no surprises. Because um, surprises at a transaction table um, most often lend, end up with people leaving the room. So that, that's, you know, that's my most important job is to make sure that it, it happens uh, talking about having all the right uh, pieces and places in order, I know with the kind of your, your uh, hobby or leisurely background, you're an avid uh, cyclist, kayaker, and backpacker, I imagine. Uh, and you also shared uh, with the timeline. I, I'm imagining that's a little optimistic of eight months. But uh, can you kind of share with your story of uh, connecting with someone uh, using an analogy of your metaphor uh, of your hobby and saying, hey, this is, this is we're just charting out a path. We're not just going to get head out in the woods without a, a trail in mind, I imagine. No, that's exactly right. And that's where, um, you know, I, I love is in, in my journeys as I, as I uh, cycle with folks and I do group road, road rides and we chat, you know, along the way. If I can plant that seed, especially if it's a business owner, but even if it's a, a trusted advisor to a business owner, to tell his client, you know, my favorite question that I ask people to ask on my behalf is, how are you going to get out of this thing? You know, even if you sell a business owner insurance, it's still a relevant question. Even if you're their banker, you want to know what their long-term plan is for the business. So no harm, no foul. You're getting to know your client. 
And, you know, how are you going to get out of this thing raises the question. And then it'd be my pleasure to come in and just sit with a half hour with a business owner who's not ready to sell, but to talk to her about what it looks like and what she needs to do um, to make that successful. Thank you for sharing. So for those that are listening and they're kind of hearing all this for the first time, how can they best uh, find a trail navigator or kayaker with experience in the M&A world and, and share that half hour with you and learn more? Uh, that's kind of you. Thank you. So uh, we are at uh, tworld.com slash Atlanta North, tworld.com slash Atlanta North. And you'll see uh, me up there as well as uh, other brokers in our agency. And uh, I can be reached at mhorwitz at tworld.com. And uh, my cell phone number is 678-427-1163. All right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. All right. Next up, we have Nancy Pridgen. Nancy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Anthony. Right. So kind of share with the audience as to what your journey is like and how what got you into law and even more specifically uh, specializing in ERISA law. So um, I did start um, pretty early on in ERISA litigation. Uh, we had a writing sample in law school um, that was based on ERISA. And uh, of course, most law students have never heard of ERISA. Most people have never heard of ERISA. But that was our uh, our writing assignment. Um, fast forward a couple of years, did a couple of clerkships after law school, uh, got introduced into ERISA litigation, and then um, went to Alston and Bird, one of the large uh, attorney uh, law firms in Atlanta, um, and uh, spent five years with their ERISA litigation group, and uh, really enjoyed my time there. Uh, learned a lot. Um, and then, you know, decided that I needed to um, help smaller companies and individuals and executives with their ERISA needs, um, which is um, what, you know, the large law firms do is they help multinational corporations uh, with, with their needs. And so uh, Pridgen Law was um, founded on the concept that we would provide um, – you know, the type of big law advice that uh, folks needed in their small businesses and their personal lives with regard to employee benefits. Well, I think uh, we, my apologies, I think we might have put the cart before the horse because we're, we're both familiar with what ERISA law is all, but for our right. listeners, uh, share kind of a, a quick snapshot of what is ERISA law? Absolutely. So ERISA is uh, an acronym for um, Employee Retirement Income Security Act. It is the federal law that applies to employee benefits uh, all over the nation. Um, it uh, has very specific uh, compliance issues. It has uh, it has tangential tax issues, and um, for a lot of us, you know, se- you know, second only to our houses, our 401ks or our retirement plans are our largest asset. Um, and so um, it has, you know, a wide ranging uh, application over, um, you know, most of the United States and most of the citizens in the, in the U S. So I mentioned for any business with employees and offering employee benefits, uh, this would be applicable to them. So what, what would be kind of the major laws that they should at least be aware about or keep an eye 
Um, so ERISA is wide ranging. It applies to both pension plans, as we understand, you know, uh, standard traditional pension retirement plans, but also 401ks, ESOPs, as well as where welfare plans, including health benefits, disability benefits, dental benefits, uh, severance benefits, and, and things like that. Um, what it's really important to know is, um, you know, the interaction between ERISA and the tax laws are important. Um, and I always like to say that um, every small business um, needs bail. As uh, one of my favorite business coaches told me, bail is a banker, uh, an accountant, an insurance broker, and a lawyer. And um, with with those on your side, uh, at least three of the four will know what uh, what ERISA is and and how it applies. Um, and you know, it's best to have trusted advisors um, looking out for your compliance needs um, and your um, litigation avoidance um, issues as well to make sure that you don't get sideways with uh, the Department of Labor or unfortunately, sometimes the IRS. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely don't want to get in trouble with the IRS <laughs> or, or DLL. Uh, so kind of looking at a little bit now, we've addressed a bit on the owner's side. Uh, what about the, say, the executives or the key employees of the business? I mean, should they also be aware about it? Um, they should. So ERISA governs um, their um, executive plans as well. Um, you know, like I said, any... Um, any employee benefit that is offered by a private employer, that would be not governments and not churches, essentially, um, is governed by ERISA. Um, what they may not know is ERISA sort of operates in the background um, until there's a dispute. And once there's a dispute, ERISA comes front and center uh, because that's the statute that you will have to proceed under if you have a dispute with your employer about uh, the amount or the payout or uh, the details of your plan. Mm-hmm. Well, then kind of talking about uh, the speed, we're kind of dipping our toe into it. Um, what are the, some of the key situations when legal counsel will be needed to kind of address these matters? Or what are other forms where either the execs themselves or the business owner can take steps to prevent that from even happening? Absolutely. So um, there are a whole set of ERISA compliance lawyers, and I'm very thankful that those people exist, in part because I don't want to do that <laughs> that type of law. Um, but they get down and in, um, into the weeds in terms of making sure that um, all of the regulations are followed and no one gets sideways with the DOL or the IRS. But you also have folks like me who handle it um, who handle both um, advice with regard to uh, litigation avoidance and when when those disputes uh, bubble up and cannot be contained any longer, uh, litigation itself. And so um, things that uh, folks can do um, with most small businesses, um, the bulk of their plans will be welfare plans that are probably insured by other, um, by carriers. And so um, there's not a lot of hands-on 
day-to-day compliance that needs to be done by the business owner, thankfully, in those situations. But with regard to other things like severance plans, 401k plans, even if you have vendors taking care of the details, um, there are there is a role for the business owner to be making fiduciary decisions uh, on on a not a day to day basis, but um, usually a month to month basis. Um, on um, you know, for instance, the types of um, investments that are offered through a four hundred one k. Um, an ESOP would have very specific uh, needs for addressing the fiduciary duties for the um, for the business owner, and um, you know severance plans. A lot of people don't um, don't know that severance plans are in fact governed by ERISA most of the time, and so uh, severance is something that um, a business owner can be handling on its own. Uh, and not know that ERISA applies, and that's uh, slightly dangerous. So, um, you know, we like to counsel our um, clients, both small small and medium-sized businesses and um, individuals, um, just to, you know, sort of give them a, um, an issue-spotting um, education in terms of, you know, when you need to get counsel involved in um, any particular compliance or uh, litigation avoidance or litigation issue. Mm-hmm. So kind of looking uh, as you're addressing all these potential, uh, I guess, elephants in a room that yes. an employer might not even be aware about, particularly with severance. They just assume, okay, if I offer X, I should be fine and dandy. And I imagine you probably get a surprise <laughs> letter. Like, oh, oops. Uh, that's, that's not something I should be doing. So I guess uh, next question would be, well, what is kind of at the moment, like a hot, legal trend or, or, or concern regarding to employee benefits and employment matters? Sure. So, uh, you know, we're, of course, in the middle of a pandemic and um, the um, legislature and uh, the DOL have been uh, hard at work making sure that COVID-related issues are addressed in um, employment plans, employee, excuse me, employee benefit plans, um, and that, you know, trying to make sure the country sort of finds its way out of this pandemic. Some of the hot issues um, related to small businesses um, are, you know, just what do you have to do in terms of letting someone off if they get COVID? Um, What if their family, family member gets sick? Um, How does that interact with the employment laws generally? Um, Is uh, COVID illness a, a disability uh, that we need to worry about, you know, in ERISA plan disability litigation. Um, is it a disability that we need to be accommodating for? Um, you know, what exactly are the rules uh, with that apply to small employers um, versus larger employers um, with regard to the COVID regulations that have been passed? So, of course, those are, you know, um, first and foremost on lots of business owners' minds these days. So the other elephant in the room, uh, well, you, you can address it if you're comfortable with it, is a couple of weeks ago, Scotus kind of squashed a whole mandate. And then now the companies are kind of in between a rock and a hard place. Okay, we had we were going with policy A, should we switch to policy B and not having a mandate? And then the conversation could be, well, if we try to force it, now we don't have quote-unquote uh, legal backing. Could we be opening ourselves more to liability trying to enforce it than not enforcing. I mean, how, how, how does a small business even b- 
begin <laughs> navigating that? Um, it is difficult because, you know, the tide has changed a little bit. Um, and mandates that are government-based are a little bit different than employer-based mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, employers and certainly smaller employers have um, a bit more autonomy over what they mandate um, as opposed to uh, what they allow. And um, so you do, we do find that, um, and I have, I have in fact advised a smaller employer um, that made the decision, it was a hard decision, but made the decision to mandate vaccinations um, and, you know, how to do that so as best to avoid liability. Um, but to still, you know, that that particular business was a public-facing business and needed to make sure that um, it didn't have any liability with regard to the public and its vendors and suppliers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, being aware of the issues, staying up to date, um, you know, uh, keeping an, an ear to the ground in terms of, you know, what your employees are um, um, ready, willing, and able to do with regard to helping, you know, get us past this pandemic is important. But uh, my best advice to smaller employers would be, um, you know, to have a trusted advisor on their side that can um, walk them through the pros and cons of mandates if that's something they want to try, um, as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, if a government mandate comes down that the courts approve, which is not where we are right now, um, you know, how to put that in place. So for those who are kind of uh, listening in and thinking, okay, there's, there's so many things I am unaware about that I am liable for, uh, how can uh, best reach out to you, Nancy, and, and learn more? Thank you for that. So um, our website is probably the best place to start. Um, our website address is pridgenbassett.com, P-R-I-D-G-E-N-B-A-S-S-E-T-T.com. Uh, you can reach me um, specifically at my email, nancy at pridgenbassett.com. Uh, they can call the main line, which um, is, we got lucky and got a, a personal line that is 47033-ERISA. That's 470-333-7472. And uh, we'd be happy to take uh, take your call and see if we can help with uh, any of these compliance or um, litigation avoidance or litigation issues. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. So kind of switching gears, uh, we were been talking about health of businesses, health of uh, making sure that the business is healthy from uh, potentially stepping on a lawsuit landmine or, or with regulators. Now we're kind of switching over to the physical health of things. So today we have uh, Dr. Jason Corsall with us. Uh, welcome to the show, Jason. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a blessing to be here. Right. So kind of share with us uh, your story. What got you uh, into medicine? Yeah, no, I knew I wanted to be a physician from long ago in high school. Um, did well in the sciences, but, you know, beyond that, just enjoyed being with people, helping people succeed, um, and big into health, big into working out, um, trying to live a healthy lifestyle. Um, I was a, uh, athlete in high school and in college, went to med school and found out you could merge the two. And so specialized in sports medicine. And here we are today. Uh, what was your, your preferred sport at a time? Uh, football, football, definitely. Football, yeah. Mm-hmm. Most exciting. So, so kind of show those like other than just being a, a football avid, uh, avid fan and playing in the sport and being a physician in sports medicine, 
what other things should the listeners uh, know about you? Um, I think the most important thing listeners should know about me is that um, I'm going to do everything that I can to treat them as if uh, they're the priority. Um, like no other physician has ever treated them before. Um, I've been that patient that has kind of felt like a number um, and I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and when patients are dealing with an injury or an illness, um, that's stressful enough, but they're also missing out on life. And in the sports world, they're missing out on something that um, they put a lot of time and effort into. And so it's very important to be sensitive to that and to make them feel as if they are starting quarterback or, you know, the priority, in other words. So. Mm. So with kind of the term sports medicine, uh, for most people, kind of the, the lay people would be, uh, well, the doctor is a doctor. What, what makes a difference between you who specialize in sports medicine versus just, let's say, a traditional internist or a primary care physician? Sure. Um, so sports medicine in relation to other fields is relatively new. Um, essentially, it's non-surgical orthopedics. So any muscle, bone, joint, tendon, inflammation, ache, pain that you may have. Uh, that's what we specialize in treating. Um, and then on the other side of that, which I don't think we pay enough attention to is prevention and wellness. Um, and so there's, um, a whole, um, area of untapped medicine, I think in that sense that, um, I'm doing my best to focus on, uh, at this part in my career. Uh, aches and pains. I was told that I was just part of getting old, not from <laughs> playing <laughs> oh, no. sports. Uh, sports. No, we don't buy that. No, no, mm-hmm. absolutely not. So, uh, if yeah. I'm understanding your kind of your, your philosophy or approach towards medicine, is that those aches and pains is not a sentence for everybody like, just because we're getting old? Absolutely. Uh, we, I don't buy that often. Um, and you know, I think one thing that sets me apart from other physicians as well is that. Um, <clears throat> And, and not a fault to other physicians. It's, um, I think, a, a problem with our healthcare system in general where um, physicians are forced to churn numbers and see as many people as they can and meet those quotas. And so when you do tell your doctor, oh, this hurts or that hurts, you know, more or less it's, you know, ice, rest, compression, mm-hmm. elevation, and there's a whole lot more to it um, than that. And a whole lot of other options that we can explore um, to to get that patient well again. Um, even as far as referring to surgery, surgery, yes, at times is necessary, but quite often there are a lot of other non-surgical measures that we can do to get a patient back into spin class, back on the field, back to work, or back to just enjoying a, a healthy, active lifestyle. So kind of paint for uh, for us uh, for the audience like what would be your ideal patient because for again for 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 the layperson when they hear sports medicine they're thinking like professional athletes out there and I'm thinking well I'm not a professional athlete that that, that might not apply to me right um, the ideal patient for me is is wide range um, I see young children to um, people later in life that may be dealing with arthritis so from the sports injury all the way to a degenerative joint. Um, that's what we see. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, we're pain doctors, um, but in a different sense, um, more on the side of wellness prevention and treating non-surgically. Well, can you kind of share with us kind of one of your um, most memorable success stories uh, in that regard? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> 
And, and this story extrapolates, unfortunately, to, to many um, patients that I've seen. Um, but I, I did have a high school girl who was a basketball player um, and had a routine ankle sprain. And most people have had an ankle sprain. It swells up really big. You put you know, pillows underneath it. You, you wrap it. You, you put some ice on it and take some ibuprofen or Tylenol and you expect to get better. And that's what this patient was told by her primary care doctor, her sports medicine physician, her physical therapist, um, just do more therapy. And after a period of about eight months of doing that, um, I happened to finally cross paths with her. And when she gave me her story, it was just very heartbreaking to hear that uh, this ankle sprain has taken you out of your sport for eight months. Um, there's certainly something that we're missing and we need to reevaluate things. If one thing does not work, you have to keep trying. You don't give up. You have to um, finish your evaluation. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> we circled back. We ended up um, getting an MRI. Uh, MRI was normal. She had x-rays. X-rays were normal. Um <clears throat> And so in those cases, I like to go back to the patient and that's where you get your best information, your best diagnostic skills come from what the patient says and just listening again to where she's hurting, what she was doing when it hurts, all of those things, everything she's tried. And it turns out that um, she had this chronic inflammation in the muscles and tendons in the back of her ankle um, that were never treated. And so we ended up doing a pain injection along those tendons and she got better within a week. Um, she was back on the court doing ball drills where, you know, for a period of months, she was having trouble just walking. Um, currently she's starting on her team. Um, she's made her way to varsity and they've done very well. And it's just, for me, those types of success stories where patients have kind of been pushed off to the side mm-hmm. and not listened to, kind of been told the same thing over and over and not had a physician take time to listen, to treat them like a priority. Um, that's what brings me joy. That's what makes me um, very excited to do what I do. So, mm-hmm. so if you're buying, uh, if you're comfortable, would you... Do uh, you also have like a personal story uh, of yourself, perhaps an injury, and you, say, and, and you kind of from your experience, because you you shared a little bit about being treated like a number. And you know, you're probably thinking there's got to be a better way. Yes, um, the ankle sprains, and that that's why I bring that one up again because uh, when that patient came across me, I directly was able to connect with her. I had um, sprained ankles in high school and um, <clears throat> missed a lot of my freshman and sophomore year because of it. And, you know, I didn't have anyone to more or less take that time to figure out, okay, what are we missing here? And that's Mm -hmm. what I really try and pride myself in doing and taking care of patients. It's a it's a very holistic view uh, in a way. It's not just, uh, as you mentioned, the MRI or X-rays or or, or the numbers uh, on a chart, but the patient getting to the basic and having a conversation. Who would have thought about that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've just gotten away. And like I say, it's not, it's not so much the fault of the physician. It's, it's the 
healthcare system, in my opinion, that has kind of forced us to, um, again, see the numbers and generate income, mm. <laughs> more or less. So talk about like impact and helping others uh, in their health and being able to get back right away to their sport and their love and their passion. Um, for yourself, I mean, if, if there could be, let's say, uh, a book uh, written about you and your journey and, and your life, I mean, what would be the title and what would kind of be the blurb about? That's a good question. Um, and, and quite honestly, I've thought about this before, but if, if there were a book about me, I would title it The Most Successful Failure. And I say that because in, in life there are failures um, and no one succeeds in life without having gone through those things. Um, in sports, um, certainly, great example. Um, when you win, it's great, but when you lose, there's a lesson there. There's something that you can learn from that. And I would say that um, there is more value in the failure than there is in the success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try and take that approach with patients, especially when I'm giving bad news that may be even season ending or um, if a patient has to miss a vacation because of an injury or um, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and keep the, that kind of mindset. So, Well, talking about inspiring and helping uh, change or, or quote unquote fix the healthcare system, um, what are kind of the goals that you have in the way that you run your practice and how do you go about improving the way healthcare is being delivered? Yeah, I'm, I'm in a very unique position because <clears throat> as a business owner that has partnered with Life Hope Medical, um, <clears throat> I'm able to create a schedule for patients that allows them the time that they need to be seen. Um, and I think that that part is missing, um, in medicine. Um, but also on our, on our floor, we have physical therapy, we have a chiropractor, we have, um, strength and performance. Um, on the bottom floor, we have cardiology, um, we have interventional radiology, we have a med spa. And so it's all encompassing, And the design of all of those different specialties is very different from your traditional hospital system, which is governed in a very different way. And so we have the freedom to make it convenient for the patient the way that healthcare should be. It shouldn't be um, more stress trying to get an appointment or waiting to be seen or only being seen for a short period of time and then having to come back for more, um, be efficient, be purposeful, um, and yeah, be careful. <laughs> to say. So kind of then, then circle back for, for the other patients or, or the audience who might even know of people with, let's say, um, getting a little up there in age and let's say the tennis elbow or they've been golfers and they kind of, uh, really sprain their back or slip disc, um, would they, these kind of be the ideal patients in, in coming to you after the fact? Because you also touched a little bit about uh, preventative care so they don't get that slip disc or that uh, tennis elbow. Right. Yes. No, though, that type of patient is ideal. Um, and, you know, you don't always know what to do um, for seemingly common injuries like tennis elbow or low back pain or, again, an ankle sprain. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot that goes into our specialty is, uh, and, and science and the research has done an excellent job in, 
um, figuring out what more can be done um, than what was done traditionally. I mean, I, I really do appreciate medicine in that sense because it is so far advanced from even when I finished medical school you know, 10 years ago, um, got to appreciate the advancements and um, taking a holistic approach in, in treating patients. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, from tennis elbow to back pain to uh, knee swelling, um, shoulder pain, all of those things that seem pretty common. Um, yeah. When the traditional things don't help, tried ibuprofen ice you've tried to rest you've even maybe you've done some stretching mm-hmm. um come visit me let's get more focused let's figure out what exactly is going on and how to best treat it from as many different directions as we can mm-hmm. so again kind of going with uh whether it's sport sprains or ankle injuries and, and the like um can someone who doesn't necessarily play sports should they also reach out to you? Oh yes, absolutely. The the, the sports piece um, is a bit of a misnomer in that sense. It's more of active medicine. Um, people that are active want to be active, can't be active, are having trouble moving. Um, that's in a, I think maybe even a better term for it. Um, but no, you do not have to be an athlete. Um, even if you are living more of a sedentary life and want to know if it's safe to exercise, that would be a great patient to come in so that we can, number one, make sure it's safe, but number two, come up with a great individualized plan for you to get back into shape, become active, start enjoying life again. Well, I know we can definitely go down a rapid hole with, with me being a runner or for those who are long-time listeners, know what? talk a little bit about marathoning and all that. Right. And it's great to hear that you have a strength and conditioning section yes. Yes. Uh, in your area. Um, I, I, I'm just going to throw this out there, but, but do you guys actually like prescribe strength and conditioning as part of treatment? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a big part of it. Um, whether it's done at home on your own, so you can have a home exercise plan if you'd like, or if you'd like the dedicated um, time and the equipment and the direction, um, absolutely. That's that's something that we do offer and, and and pride ourselves in having that piece of the pie in your in your treatment plan. So, so I imagine uh, some patients might be a little surprised they were expecting a pills prescription, but you're writing <laughs> oh, yes. a workout regimen for yes, them instead. Absolutely, no pills are great when you need them. Mm-hmm. Um, most patients actually um, are averse to to taking medicine, and I can understand why. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever read the side effects of Tylenol, yeah. <laughs> it may really freak you out. But um, yes, pills necessary when we need them. But if we can, again, use every tool possible to attack the same problem, um, you've got a better chance of recovering. Okay, great. Well, thank you uh, so much for sharing. We could, uh, as I mentioned, really go down a rabbit hole. And, and, and for yes. me, you like geek out uh, yes. over uh, sports. Yeah, me and too. <laughs> sports medicine. But uh, for our listeners, our listeners, oh, you mean I don't have to suffer with this ankle injury or elbow or I, I could get back out there again, potentially, right. and being more active and getting back to my passion again. How can they best find you? Yeah, so um, our uh, number to make an appointment, 770-755-5445. Our website is lifehopetrifecta.net, and trifecta is spelled T-R-I-F 
three CTA or CTA. Yes. So three instead of an E. Um, or you can email me directly at uh, DRC. So Dr. C at trifecta.net. And that's trifecta with a three instead of an E. All right. Thank you, Jason. Right, thanks for having me. So coming uh, away with this uh, kind of a, a theme with our three great, great guests is uh, always planning ahead. Uh, don't You don't want to wait until the very end, whether it's, oh, uh, I already gave a severance package and I just kind of accidentally tripped over a regulation I was unaware about. Or, hey, I need to sell a business, but I should have done some planning three or, or, or five years ago. It can't be done uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, so a universal question to kind of bring uh, all three of our wonderful guests back is, there's this theme of teamwork and being able to look at a client or in this case, a, a patient situation more holistically, not just in a legal or financial or even just a PT uh, perspective. So the question would be when it kind of comes to holistic planning, what signs should the listener look for or perhaps maybe typical two or three red flags that they say, hey, okay, I checkmark these red flags. I need to get myself in front of, let's say, a sports medicine person or an arrested attorney or an M&A uh, business advisor or business broker. So what are the top one or, one or three red flags that if it happens, okay, I need to talk to these people. So as we give our guests some time to think, uh, this show is sponsored and brought to yours truly, Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Network. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. Our main office address is 575 Broad Hollow Road out in Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me at 631 465 9090 extension 5075 or best through my email uh, which is really just my full name anthony chen c h e n at l f n l l c dot com so bringing our three guests uh back so again the question is when it comes to uh holistic uh, planning in your respective fields uh, for our listeners what are the top one or three red flags they should look out for. And when it happens, realize, okay, I need to consult with this particular professional in your respective fields. So Michael. Well, thank you. Um, so this will sound a little counterintuitive, but the best time to sell a business is when things are going really, really well. Mm -hmm. So the better it's going, the more you might want to think about it. So it's not even a red flag, it's a green flag. Hey, all this money is yeah. pouring in. I should think about selling now. <laughs> Absolutely. A green flag, I like that. Green flag, great. Thank you. Nancy? Sure. Um, just to piggyback off of Michael, um, you know, certainly acquiring a business is when you need to, acquiring or selling a business is when you need to um, get uh, counsel involved in terms of making sure that what you're selling or buying is um, healthy under the employment laws and under ERISA. Um, certainly as a business owner, um, anytime there's a pain point um, with regard to an employee issue, um, that's always a red flag. Um, it's better to get a lawyer involved um, and trusted counsel involved when uh, an, a 
dispute is threatening as opposed to when it's fully blown and boiled over. And um, with regard to executives and uh, other key employees, uh, sometimes just like a financial checkup, you need a legal checkup to see what your benefits uh, look like and if everything's going correctly. Um, we can help with that. And um, again, for the business owner who ha- who does have fiduciary duties for some of their plans, uh, we can do a, a checkup on your financial compliance. And so um, we're happy to help in any of those circumstances. Right. Thank you. And Jason? Yes, I know one big red flag in my field is <clears throat> if you have any redness or swelling or uh, warmth over a joint, um, you need to get in to see a professional about that. Um, but otherwise, I would say that um, if you're having pain or an injury that hasn't responded to uh, your typical um, home remedies or, or things that you know to do, come in and see me. Um, or if you have an injury or a pain that's limiting what you want to do in life, um, I pride myself in getting you back to that. So that would be a, a major reason. Just go on and, and see sports medicine. All right. Great. Thank you, Jason. Thanks. Now for this little section uh, called Anthony's take uh, on this podcast, when it comes to uh, in the field and world of financial advisory and planning. So uh, kind of piggybacking off the universal question of what are the red or maybe even green flags uh, one should begin to spot for and uh, potentially consider consulting a financial advisor and or planner. Uh, sometimes it's not always just when one is in a financial strait, but uh, kind of copying from uh, Michael Howitz is when things are good. Uh, when let's say, for example, a great promotion, a career change, or even a bonus coming in. I know it can be very tempting uh, to be going out and, and buying that fancy car, but that fancy car is not going to be there come retirement or for a business owner uh, come sale of a business. So sometimes uh, when considering uh, reaching out to a financial advisor, uh, think about some major changes in one's life, uh, whether again, it's a promotional career job change uh, or uh, again, a promotion, that would be a good time usually a green flag uh, to reach out to a financial advisor and begin having that conversation. So thank you all again for uh, listening in to Family Business Radio. I'm your host, Anthony Chen. Have a great day.